0: hello it's babita here one of the presenters on this podcast mum will the planet die before i do thanks again for tuning in we hope you've enjoyed what you've listened to so far and please let us know what you think by clicking on the link and leaving a comment in this episode we chat to a powerhouse in the global youth climate movement clover hogan Clover is the executive director of force of nature which is the youth non-profit group mobilizing mindsets for climate action We wanted to ask Clover about what parents and carers might be missing when helping their kids finding answers to the climate crisis and what we can do to channel their frustrations into long lasting change.
1: So I first became aware of the prevalence and rise of eco-anxiety when I started volunteering in classrooms in the UK and at the time this was around the youth strikes for climate the kind of mainstream narrative was that young people today feel super uh, passionate and inspired and empowered to create change Um, but what I was hearing from those young people directly could not have been more different. I was hearing this incredible level of anxiety in young people, um, mounting sense of despair around the future that they're inheriting. Um, And really this sense of kind of um, shutdown and and apathy, Uh, this feeling of the problem is too big, our leaders are too corrupt, you know, I'm too small and too insignificant to actually do anything. And you know, I would hear that in 13 year old girls telling me, well, I've already decided that I don't want to have kids because I don't want to bring them into a world defined by climate collapse. Um, I was hearing from young people, you know, what's the point in thinking about university or, you know, going further ahead, thinking about things like pensions because they won't exist in the future. Right. Like the world that we're inheriting is so unstable and so terrifying um, that we're not even giving ourselves license to imagine a future. Um, And, you know, I'd experienced eco-anxiety since the age of 11. I didn't have the language for it back then, Um, but that crippling, you know, heartbreak and frustration and and anger in response to the crisis, Um, all of which were feelings that I thought I should try and run away from (laughs) and I should try and hide from.
0: When you were feeling so crippled by the anxiety, when you said from the age of what 11, did you tell parents friends about it?
1: I I suppose I felt anger and frustration, but also a lot of confusion. You know, here I was at eleven, glued to my computer screen, learning about the climate crisis for the first time, and hearing these terrifying stats not only of the world that I was inheriting, but how the world was already changing, you know, before our eyes.
0: And did your um, parents know you were watching this material? I mean, did you talk um, to them about what you were watching, and how did you find yourself sitting there watching this content?
1: Yeah, so I, um, my elder sister, she was definitely the kind of uh, the trailblazer for me. She was a filmmaker by background and so she watched a lot of documentaries and she's the one who really kind of introduced me in the first instance. Um, But I remember feeling this incredible confusion because we hadn't talked about it at the dinner table, because I hadn't learned about the climate crisis in school, because I hadn't seen it on the TV when my parents watched the news every night, right? And so there was a lot of like a lot of really confusing feelings and I think when I brought them to my family there were ways in which they were you know incredibly supportive um but also there was a lot that they didn't really understand and so my first declaration and action as you know a self-proclaimed environmentalist age 11 was to march down to the dinner table and tell my parents i'm becoming vegetarian right um and for my dad who is both french and also a chef This was a terrible affront to to him and his culture. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that was a huge source of fighting and pain and confrontation within my family for many years. I mean, I think for my dad, that was probably like the sense of, well, you know, this is my love language. Like, this is how I provide for you. And you're rejecting that. Like, that's very ungrateful. That's very self-entitled. And also naturally that age, you know, I was that much more kind of, evangelical in a really unconscious and like unintentional way and so it was coming from a place of you know this being an ethical argument why can't you understand like why aren't you changing your behavior and I think that's where a lot of the kind of intergenerational breakdown can happen but where we have been able to find the greatest resolution within our family is when we're all able to come from a real place of empathy to say like this is a decision that I'm making for myself from the from this place but I'm not going to try to impose that decision on you because the way that you show up as an activist or environmentalist is not going to look the same way as I do so I think it's understanding that we're all coming with really different lived experience
2: but it's interesting you're talking about the kind of the apathy the well the fear of young people that then can kind of translate as apathy with the, the kids that you say you were working with in schools and I noticed that in parents as well Especially, I think, when their kids are engaged, they know the science, they understand what needs to happen. And I think from a parent's perspective, it can be a bit like, oh, so I kind of see the apathy in them. So it's interesting that your parents, you know, it sounds like they were kind of trying to get up to speed with, with what you were doing and saying. But what, what, how do you think, like, young people can can bridge that? As you say, we need to kind of work together and find an intergenerational thing but often it's you guys kind of mentoring us and telling us what needs to happen I think a lot of, of parents are still in that kind of inertia fear phase
1: yeah and I think that is the kind of gut reaction when young people give voice to their eco-anxiety um for a lot of the parents we've spoken to for them it's very confronting because they say oh well I've somehow let you down you know like I feel a lot of shame and guilt for the fact that you know perhaps you think that I haven't done enough to prevent this problem or you know I I don't want you to feel that anxiety like I want to do away with those feelings and you know I've talked about this for many years but I had the first very like personal experience of it um, a couple of years ago when I was walking hand in hand with my six-year-old little cousin and she turned to me and she said you know what's this thing climate change and am I going to to have a future. And my first instinct as you know the adult in this situation and as her carer was to wrap my arms around her and say you know Jude everything's going to be totally okay I'm going to fix the problem you don't have to worry about it right but that's not actually the conversation that we need to be having with our young people and in fact it's that sense of being kept in the dark or potentially being misled that can lead to a lot of resentment that can lead to that moment I had at 11 where I was saying how on earth is this the first time I'm learning about this problem why haven't I been equipped with this and why why don't my parents want to talk about it right
0: so what should we be doing them? so
1: I think from both sides you know it's so powerful when young people feel that they have license to give voice to those difficult emotions and I think as adults we have to kind of confront what that looks like in terms of us being the authority in that situation. We don't have to have all of the answers. We don't have to say everything's going to be fine. We actually have to be willing to sit in the vulnerability of, I don't have the answers. You know, I don't know everything that there is to know about the climate crisis, but I'm going to support you in this journey. And together we can find those answers together.
2: I guess for parents like forever, it's our job to make sure our kids are safe, fed, fed, educated and that's always been you know a certain trajectory at least in Britain where where we are you know you you get an education and you get a job and you buy a house but it feels like all of those things now as you're describing so eloquently and beautifully they just don't really apply and it, it's us now like now our generation of parents that need to kind of switch that off and listen to our kids yeah and i think it's that That Babs and I are trying to understand of like, how do we get up to speed quickly enough to keep up with what the kids are seeing as necessary?
1: You have to be willing to put in the work to truly confront the enormity of this crisis. Like, it is not fair to place that whole responsibility on the shoulders of a six year old to say, yeah, based on the current projections, like the world's looking pretty shit and it's going to be a really scary place to grow up in, right? Like, that's not the route that we want to take. But you have to be willing to sit in the total discomfort and despair of what the science is telling us. And it is terrifying. Like I've spoken to business leaders who also happen to be parents um, who, you know, didn't sleep for weeks after reading the IPCC report because they were, you know, seeing the images in their mind, thinking truly about The future that they're handing over to their kids. And that is a really scary reality. And we have to be willing to go there because the climate crisis is a symptom of our ability to shut ourselves off from it, particularly in a bubble of climate privilege.
2: Being in that shame or being in that despair, because I think that's what shuts me down. I'm so frightened and I'm so, I'm literally just so terrified. And I think that shuts us down. But are you kind of saying it's almost a parental? like, not responsibility, that's not what you said, I know, but is it a necessary first step?
1: I believe so. I think, you know, that's why for me, eco anxiety is so powerful. And it's it's an intergenerational experience, right? It's not like it's just 70% of young people who are feeling this way. Like we're having conversations every day with mothers, parents, business leaders, policymakers who are creating space for themselves and, and giving license to themselves to be human and sit in how terrifying this is. But I believe that if we look at this from like a psychotherapy perspective, you know, traveling into the grief is what enables us to come out the other side and see the opportunity to find the courage. But if we're constantly running away from those difficult emotions, then we will never be able to draw on that courage that we need to look in the face of a really uncertain future. So it's not so much a parental responsibility so much as like a human responsibility, because, you know, for example, falling into climate despair and shutting down from the issue, that is not a privilege allowed to the hundreds of thousands of people who are already experiencing the climate crisis today, right? That This is not a 2050 thing. They're like, this is already our lived experience. This is our reality. We have to take action immediately. And some of the, the most transformative climate solutions are coming from the communities, largely in the Global South, who are already living through the climate crisis today. So particularly for those of us who are in, in a bubble of climate privilege, the least that we can do is look in the face of this crisis, acknowledge it, and then through the journey of those feelings, Think about, OK, well, what are the skills and the talents that I can draw on to show up and solve this problem? Yeah, it's funny
0: because we've been on a journey with this conversation that we've been having on this podcast series. And um, a lot of it is about sitting in the vulnerable space, <laughs> being vulnerable with our own fears that often mean that we've got inaction. But also starting from the grassroots up, looking around what's happening on our doorstep, on our plates in our homes, like you said, in the community, our tribe, bringing everyone together and then building out and also um, reaching out to people that have gone through the climate emergency, you know, the real raw situations that they've been in and how they've lived it and survived it and talk about it. But, you know, listening to you, I'm, I almost feel like I should be talking to Mr and Mrs Hogan as well. I mean, I don't know how they parented you when you were coming up with, mom, dad, this is crazy, I've just seen these documentaries, what are we doing about it? And then knowing that this was going to be part of your life journey for the next however many years forward. um, Can you tell me a bit about that and how that sat with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, and as much as I've kind of spoken to like the tensions, the ideological tensions within my family, my parents were and always have been so incredibly supportive. They always imbued in me the the self-belief that I could do whatever I kind of set my mind to and I think that is what enabled me to expand that container of feelings to hold the tension between the eco-anxiety but also the hope for the future the confidence to be part of the solution everything else um so they did an amazing job at that and when I was uh 13 I basically told them that I wanted to move to Indonesia so that I could go to a place called the green school which is Wallace Bamboo Classrooms in the middle of the jungle, um, and they said yes, and they uprooted our life in Australia so that we could move to Indonesia and I could go to this school. I'm,
2: <laughs> I, I'm literally speechless. But also that they, they honoured you in that way, that they really listened to you, in that way, and they heard something in you, and they responded to that. I, I find that really like humbling to to hear an example of where a parent really understands this isn't a kid saying mommy i want a pony this is a kid saying i've recognized that we're on the brink of catastrophe and i want to know how to stop it and that they listen to you
0: but it also terrifies me i mean the idea that you can uproot your whole lives your careers your jobs your homes everything because your 13 year old has said i want to go to this school
1: well i think and for and this is what i hear in a lot of parents you know for them the motivator isn't in fact reading about the climate crisis in the headlines or reading the IPCC report so much as their kid coming home to them at the end of the day and saying you know mom dad what are you doing about the climate crisis and I think you know in recent years they've actually become a lot more engaged like you know they'll send me articles and documentaries and want to learn more about a specific topic and so we have a a much better kind of two-way exchange but for them it really came from a place of you know seeing me at such an early age really really struggle with my mental well-being so I I think you know all parents have that opportunity to really as you said you know honor the difficult emotions of, of young people and, and not try to to fix those feelings by distracting them or you know not giving them the space to air but truly listening to them and saying okay well if you're really passionate about this problem what do you want to do about it and how can I help you achieve that so it's about facilitating that journey and and the the difficult conversations
2: yeah which is interesting, I guess. This all started when my son said to me, Mum, will the planet die before I do? And I'm a climate activist parent. I kind of go on the marches and I read the science. And I felt really bulldozed by that question. Um, and I think, just also, particularly, the responsibility that parents have when our governments aren't reacting appropriately to this catastrophe, the UN isn't reacting fast enough, and our kids are looking at us saying, you know, what's happening, all this needs to be done. So it's kind of a weird place as a parent to know kind of how do you overcome the lack of action from governments? Like where do you pick up the pieces with that?
1: You know, I think there is that that feeling of, oh wow, like the people who are in historic seats of power don't have the answers right like we've known about the climate crisis for decades longer than i was born that most people my generation were born um and yet and we've had the technology we've had the resources the solutions yet we've not solved the problems i think there has to come a time where we say oh okay so the people and thinking that created this crisis is not the people and thinking that is going to get us out of it as a parent if you can help your young person find agency community and hope in other spaces um you know whether that is protesting in the street finding a community active like activist group um whether that is exploring which skills you do bring to the table like if you have a young person who's like i really love speaking and i love communicating which it was for me and, and with my parents um they really supported me to think okay well how can you become the best communicator possible so that you can realize your potential to take action on the issues that you really care about. Um, so it's it's a, around kind of like hand-holding a little bit. Um, but also, and I think this is the moment that every child goes through with their parents, you know, you always fall off the pedestal at some point, right? Like there's this moment of like, oh my God, my parents don't have all the answers. Like they're not the experts. And so parents have to show up with a lot of humility again to say, I don't have the answers, but in the same way you want to do something about this, I want to do something too. And you tell me what I can do.
0: I think that is really important, but I think that applies to any area of life as well, actually yeah. keeping <laughs> that dialogue open. Do you know listening to you, and I'm, I keep going back to the Hogan household, Um, and you know you as an 11 year old but there are cultural differences as well in terms of parenting and expectation I'm just thinking about you know the expectation that I the environment that I was raised in as a British Indian second generation immigrant was very very different and survival is often key for immigrant families where it's about building a life that's based on a career and getting a salary and getting a home and bricks and mortar that the climate crisis debate doesn't even enter the frame of mind because you're thinking about yourself as an individual in terms of survival. So, you know, I wonder how we cross that divide as well, Um, not just culturally, but also geographically, because there's just so many different Challenges when we're talking about parenting because we're not talking about parenting just in the UK here we're talking about globally
1: yeah it's a really good point and I think it's what the climate movement fails to do a lot of the time it is this expectation of like we're going to preach the message and expect people to come to us rather than going directly to where people already are and again I think that rhetoric often does come from like what has evolved into a very like white middle-class kind of community where there isn't an acknowledgement of like, okay, but I have a privilege to focus on what for me are like long-term kind of existential problems. Whereas this community, this family over here is just trying to ensure that they have food on the table, that they can send their kids to school, that they can put them through university. Right? So I think for one, we have to like bring down those barriers and truly acknowledge like what are the immediate needs of a family unit and how do you go to that point? place rather than trying to add another stress or another thing to think about but I think it's also for parents to recognize in terms of like job security for your children the changes that we're going to see in every industry are absolutely enormous like you know and I, I want to be really careful of not like fear-mongering here so I'm gonna avoid sharing like the scary climate statistics but all to say, you know, our food system is going to change massively. Our fashion system is going to change the way that businesses operate, the way that businesses create value in society. We're going to see the most radical kind of transformation that has ever taken place in, in history. A huge company that is that creates lots of stuff that goes on the supermarket shelf. Um, many of the ingredients that go into those products are not going to be grown or available at scale in a few decades time because of food system um, collapse, right? Um, and because of disturbance in global supply chains. Um, we're moving toward a model of zero waste where you know disposable plastics are going to become a thing of the past. Um, company structures are completely transforming to be reflective of stakeholder needs rather than exclusively shareholder needs and so with that you need a radically different way of thinking you need imagination you need curiosity you need passion and unfortunately those are a lot of the characteristics of young people that are largely um kind of trained and beaten out of us through an education system that teaches us to abide by the status quo to be very good at working within the boundaries and showing up with consistency etc um we're not currently equipping young people with the, the the skills to address the messy problems that are defining our future
2: you see and that's what babs and i we actually had this conversation after my son had asked that question and i remember calling you babs when i was actually taking my daughters to like gymnastics on a saturday and I actually said to Babs, should I be taking my girls to gymnastics on a Saturday? Is that I mean, obviously that's not going to be a relative relevant skill, probably for their lives anyway, but
0: you never know. I think
2: that's you never know. But I think that's that's also what led us to try and have this journey of like exactly as you're saying, all of the models that we currently exist inside, food systems, da-da-da, it's not going to be relevant. So I think that's also just we urgently, there's real urgency, Babs, isn't there, of like thinking, how do we then shift what we expect of our children, what we're kind of slightly pushed, not pushing them towards, but what we're facilitating them in education. But that's that's a really, I, I can hear from you that you get that, obviously. But I think f- for parents, that's like taking a cargo ship and going like...
0: Argh. You said, firm, I don't want to among anybody and we talk about system collapse, and actually I don't see it like that, I see it as an opportunity almost, and I think that's where we need to reframe the conversation here, because yes it is a bit fearful that the status quo is going to have to change, kicking or screaming we're going to get there, but the system collapse is an evolution into a different way of thinking, so I wonder if maybe the wordings the wording that we use to describe this transformation needs to change as well. And then maybe that will help us to think, not think of it as fear-mongering, but actually think of it as like an urgent practical way of trying to be a bit more optimistic about it. I don't know if you think that that's fair.
1: I say yes. And with a caveat, which is, I think what we need more than ever is resilience. Um, We recognize based on like purely from a scientific perspective, like the there is a certain level of global heating that is already locked in. What I want to say to that is we have to acknowledge that there are going to be really big changes and we need to be equipping, particularly this emerging generation to have the resilience to keep fighting and keep doing the work, even when everything that we look at around us can create that sense of despair, whether that's on social media and the apocalyptic kind of doom scrolling or that's looking to leadership and government and seeing an utter failure there um and with that we also need to hold space for the yes this is the biggest opportunity we've ever had and for me i mean that's what keeps me going like i'm my activism isn't sustained because i'm just trying to outrun an apocalyptic future for me i feel so lucky that I get to be alive at this point in history when we really have an opportunity to put society and put humanity on a radically different track.
0: Does it make you think twice about having children of your own in the future?
1: It definitely has. I mean, I'm I'm only 22, so I'm like, I'm definitely putting that decision on the back burner for the time being. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's really scary as a young person today to try and plan for your future and I've you know I've I've had to even setting up like a sustainable pension for myself like there was definitely that nihilistic voice in my head that was like is there even a point to save for the future? And then like the internal like mother in me was like, no, like this is you want to plan as if there is a world that you want to inherit, that you want your own kids to grow up in. So that is how I'm currently kind of operating. But I know that a lot of friends have reached that point of resolution where for them, it doesn't make sense to have kids.
0: Wow you've got friends that have thought about not having children now
1: oh yeah like a lot of my friends
0: is that because you're so disillusioned about what the future holds
1: i suppose from my perspective it's you know i think it it's really it's really sad right to think that like because of the decisions that have been made up until this point I would potentially not feel that I could have the joy of, you know, building a family of my own because I'm so fearful of the world that I would be bringing them into and whether that is, you know, a responsible choice for them. But on my more optimistic days, I also think, well, if i raised a kid they would be such a badass like climate activist <laughs> that that would be a net positive for the world you know i've never felt like resentful for being brought into this world because i've inherited the climate crisis like for me i'm not resentful of the work that i do every day like for it's such a it's such a it's such a joy and a passion but i do have yeah a number of friends who've already made that decision not to have children from the place of obligation to those theoretical children um, because they wouldn't want to bring them into a world of climate collapse
2: and all of the trauma that that brings. I mean it it all of that combined makes me think you know if this has to happen on our watch now when, when Babs and I are parents of young children I don't want for your generation to have to make that what role do you think we play our current generation of parents? Well,
1: you've already touched on the most important part, which is doing the work now. I think one of the frustrations of youth activists today is that often the rhetoric becomes, "Oh, we're handing the baton over to the next generation." And it's like, "Okay, great. <laughs> you're <laughs> handing <laughs> <Yeah>. you're <laughs> now." Literally. And it is not just that, but it's the fact that that is the rhetoric of, yes, you know, young people saving the day, but then we're not actually being invited into decision-making spaces. So there are policies and bills that are being, you know, put into place today that we're going to inherit the repercussions of, right? Like the decisions being made today are the, the decisions that I'm inheriting in several decades time. And so there is this enormous frustration of that general rhetoric. So I think it is, mu- it has to be about how do we uplift, empower, listen to this emerging generation,
2: listen to our kids and put in the work ourselves. I have to say, I love I love Barack Obama. He's a hero. But when he was saying at COP, you know, to the young people, you know, keep going, keep going. I wanted to scream because I was like, no, it's not up to them to keep going. It's up to me to keep going. Well, and I think we, we should all have the courage to own
1: the word activist. I think activist is received very differently in the different spaces that I work in, you know, student communities versus talking to a bunch of, stuffy business leaders um but you know I had someone recently ask me who works in mining they asked can I be an activist and I was like not can you uh should you and the answer is absolutely yes you have to be an activist like we need Everyone, regardless of the industry that you work in, to say, Yes, I'm an activist, because naturally you will begin to see the world in a fundamentally different way. You'll begin to appreciate the impacts, not just of your everyday decisions but where you have the greater impact which is what you show up for in your nine to five job and you will begin to actively seek out solutions seek out allies who care about the same things and so you know no matter where you're coming from in this you know 7.8 billion piece kind of puzzle there is a place but we just have to start being vocal about it and we need to start that exploration and and find our power in assuming responsibility because i think responsibility and fault can often be conflated. You know, the climate crisis is no one person's fault, but it's all of our responsibility. So if we can own that, that is an incredibly empowering thing and will create agency within us and within the people around us rather
2: than shutting us down. Wow, Clover Hogan, what an incredible young woman. Can you believe she's been campaigning for change since she was just a kid? Now she's doing it on a world stage. We hope you're enjoying our podcast and would love your thoughts on anything you've listened to. Get in touch via the link below. And join us for our next episode, when we'll be speaking to the world-renowned climate scientist, Professor Salim Al-Haq, on the reality of living in and surviving a climate emergency and how we can bridge the new intergenerational divide to fight against climate breakdown. Mum, will the planet die before I do?
1: Is a corner shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough, and edited by Nisha Patel.